Hello you guys, happy Wednesday. I hope you guys are having a great week. If you're not, the week is halfway over. We will get through it together. So today's episode is a little bit different. We are actually filming today's episode. It'll be up on my channel tomorrow. It'll be on my YouTube channel. If you don't know, I have a YouTube channel. It's just Savannah Brimer. We decided to do that, that way you guys can see the visuals and I know a lot of you like to see pictures and you like to be able to have an image in your mind of who I'm referring to and talking about, so that will always be up the day after. So it's always going to be on a Thursday that those will be available. So that is what we are doing today, that's why it makes things a little bit different. So if things seem a little bit more off today, that is why. So for today's case, we are talking about the brutal murder of Danielle Locklear. So Danielle Locklear was 15 years old when she was murdered on March 11th of 2014. She was murdered in Hope Mills, North Carolina. So Danielle was born on July 10th of 1998 in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I believe I'm saying that right. And she was born to her parents, Rona and William. And Danielle was beautiful. Like she was absolutely stunning. And if you look her up and you see pictures, you'll be able to tell why. She was just strikingly gorgeous. She had these insane eyes. And her mom described her as being a light in everyone's life. She was always happy and she was always smiling. And Danielle's mom was going through a divorce around this time period. So Danielle actually went and lived with her aunt and her grandmother. Just while things smoothed over, her mom just asked her sister if Danielle could live with her and her aunt agreed. Her aunt's name was Chena. So Danielle ended up moving to Hope Mills with her aunt Chena while things smoothed over. So with moving comes a new life. It comes a new school and kind of starting all over. And that is what Danielle was doing. But her outgoing and bubbly personality made it very easy for her to be likable and to make friends. She quickly became friends with a girl named Caroline. And Caroline remembers the first time that her and Danielle became friends. She said they were all sitting in this auditorium at the school and everyone was very intimidated of Danielle. Everyone was kind of, not threatened, but definitely intimidated is, is the right word because she was so pretty and she's so beautiful and no one really knew what to say to her. And so Caroline just decided to tap her on the shoulder while they were in this auditorium and the two of them just started talking and they hit it off and they became really good friends after that. Danielle was also extremely smart. She got straight A's in all of her classes, and Danielle had a boyfriend, and this boyfriend's name is Jamichael Malloy. Jamichael and Danielle started dating in the summer of 2013. They met at a church camp, and Jamichael was Danielle's first real boyfriend. Jamichael was a senior in high school, and Danielle was a freshman when they first started dating, but Jamichael seemed to have a really good head on his shoulders. He got straight A's. He was on the varsity soccer team and he had plans to become a Marine when he graduated high school. That was like his dream. It's what he wanted to do. It was mapped out for him. For the most part, Danielle's family really liked Jermichael. They thought that for the time period of her life that she was in, that he was very good for her. It wasn't like she was dating this guy who had a reputation for being a bad boy. Like she was dating someone who seemed like a very well-rounded person. So her family was pretty for it. They did have kind of a rocky relationship 
relationship, though, they would typical high school stuff kind of they would break up and then they would get back together and they would break up and get back together. And so they kind of were in that limbo. But it wasn't anything alarming. It wasn't anything that seemed out of the ordinary for a high school relationship. So let's talk about March 11th of 2014. So on that day, Chena, Danielle's aunt, was going out of town. So she had left, I believe she was going to Atlanta and she had left Danielle with her grandfather and that was just the way that things had been set up. So on March 11th, Danielle had told her grandfather that she was going to give a classmate a notebook and this was about around 10 o'clock p.m. Her grandfather said that he didn't really know what time of night it was. It all kind of blurred together. He was playing video games. Danielle did come from a family of younger grandparents. So when I'm saying grandparents, I don't mean like these old, old people, like they were fairly young. And so he was playing video games and said that he didn't really think about what time of night it was, thinking that it was 10 o'clock PM. And Danielle probably shouldn't have been going out at that time. But Danielle was able to convince her grandfather to let her go. And that is where she went. But little did her grandfather know that letting Danielle go out that night would be the last time he would ever see her. So the next morning after Danielle didn't come home from the night before, Danielle's grandfather ended up calling China and told her that Danielle hadn't come home. And China and Danielle's grandmother immediately turned around and drove back home because they knew something was wrong. It was really unlike Danielle to not keep her family updated or at least her social media. She was constantly on social media and posting different things. So the fact that she wasn't doing any of that raised a lot of concerns for her family. So China and her grandfather ended up driving back to Hope Mills, and that is when the police were called. So after the police were called and a missing persons report was filed, China decided to call Jamichael and asked if he knew anything or if he saw Danielle or if he was with Danielle. Maybe Danielle got upset and went over to see Jamichael, but Jamichael had said that he hadn't seen Danielle for multiple days, and the reason for that was because the two of them had broken up. And like I said, there were they were a rocky relationship relationship. It was on and off. So this wasn't a surprise to Danielle's aunt to be hearing that. So let's talk about the creek for a second. So there was a creek that was right by where Danielle lived. And this creek was kind of like a getaway for all the teenagers in the town. They would all go, they would skip classes, they would skip school. It was kind of their way to be able to get away from the adults and do what they wanted to do. And so this creek, like I said, very popular with the teenage crowd. It's where a lot of the neighborhood kids would go. So China decided that she was going to go check out this creek spot. She had never really been there, but she had heard about it. So she decided to go and check it out. So China had found a boy that lived in the neighborhood and asked him to go show her around the creek, which he agreed to do. So they both went. And when China got to the creek and she started walking along the trail, they saw her and this boy saw something in the dirt. And so they decided to look a little closer. And that is when they realized that someone had written out the word help in the dirt. And after seeing that, obviously, Chino was really freaked out. She was really confused. She got really nervous, but the two of them kept going. And as they kept walking, Chino noticed that there was a towel that belonged to her. It belonged to their house. And not only that, she also found Danielle's 
sock and it wasn't just two socks it was just one sock and Gina knew it was her socks because Gina had bought these socks specifically for Danielle so she knew what they were she knew what they looked like and there were these fuzzy type of socks so not just like a regular black or white or gray sock it was like a fuzzy sock that had been found and Gina automatically knew that that was Danielle's so the police were called again and they went to the creek to retrieve the sock that way they could use it as evidence and Gina then decided that she was going to talk to the girl who supposedly Danielle said that she was going to go give the notebook to that night. And when Gina was able to get a hold of this girl, this girl said that she was never with Danielle that night. She never saw Danielle. But what she did say is that her and Danielle had been texting throughout the day and the girl had pictures of Danielle from earlier. And when she showed Gina the pictures, she was able to piece together that Danielle was at the creek that day. So there weren't any other people in the picture besides Danielle, but she was wearing a pair of glasses. So Chena ended up zooming in on this picture and was able to see the reflection from inside of the glasses and saw that there were four other people with Danielle in this picture at least. So this girl finally gave up the four names that were in this picture, and one of those people was Caroline. So that meant that Caroline was with Danielle that day when this picture was taken. And so then Gina went to talk to Caroline. So it's kind of a puzzle of getting information from one person and then moving on and getting information from another person. Gina was basically doing her own investigation at this point. So Caroline told Gina that that day, Danielle didn't want to go to school, so she ended up ditching school and they all went and hung out at the creek and it was a really clear and nice day outside so everyone thought it was a great idea and Caroline said that Danielle had the time of her life this day. She was super happy and laughing and they were swimming in the creek and according to some other people that were at the creek that day with Danielle, they were saying that Danielle had been spending a lot of time that day with a boy named Angel. So her and Angel were reportedly seen kissing and cuddling and holding hands. And Danielle had just broken up with Jamichael. So she was single. So this wasn't like she was doing anything behind Jamichael's back. And then after they were at the creek, Danielle went home and had dinner with her grandfather. So that is a series of events that Caroline said happened that day. And I do want to point out, because I know I'm talking a lot about Chena and her involvement in finding Danielle, but Danielle's mom, Rona, was extremely involved in this entire process too. She basically lived at the police station during the day and then when she would go home she said she wouldn't be able to sleep. She would just stare at the front door and wait for Danielle to walk in. So Angel was someone that because everyone was talking about how him and Danielle were together that day, that Angel was someone that the police definitely wanted to look into. But when police actually started talking to Angel, he denied being at that creek all day in general. And police knew that wasn't true because he multiple people were saying that he was there. So police brought him in for questioning. And that's when he started to open up a bit and gave the typical story of I was there, I saw her, but I didn't do anything. Um, And that was it. And Caroline actually defended Angel and said that Angel actually had a girlfriend. He was dating someone else and the allegations and the rumors were not true. So because of that, it kind of discontinued the assumption that Angel could possibly be a person of interest in this. So police then decided to look at Danielle's 
grandfather because granted he was the last person to see her that night. Police were really questioning why he would wait so long to report Danielle missing. He waited well into the following day on March 12th to report Danielle missing. And according to the grandfather, he said that he thought that you had to wait 24 hours before reporting someone as a missing person until he called his wife, Danielle's grandmother, who then said, you know, call the police right now, who cares? And so that is kind of how he thought things had to go. So that's why he said he didn't call right away. He also took a polygraph test and he passed. So that kind of cleared him from from any suspicion of being a person of interest as well. So the rumor mill was circulating at Danielle's school and everyone had their theories and everyone was talking, but one name that continuously came up was a guy named Derek. So Derek does not have the cleanest record and he isn't what you would call a star student. He would ditch school a lot, he would ditch classes, and because he would get in trouble with the law a lot, it stopped him from being able to go to certain classes and be able to go to school so his grades really were slipping but the continuous notion about Derek is that him and Danielle were very close friends that's what a lot of Derek's friends said is that Derek always referred to Danielle as his little sister and always said you know family comes first so police ended up getting in contact with Derek and asked him to come into the police station for questioning so Derek told police that he actually barely even knew Danielle. Um, He said he maybe saw her once or twice, but it was never something where they had a close friendship. Um, He said that the only thing he knew about her was that she had black hair, blue eyes, and went missing on March 11th. And he said, that's it. I don't know anything else. So that's completely different from what Derek's friends had been telling the police this whole time of they acted like they were super close and Derek acted like he was really good friends with her and acted as this older brother figure. So police then asked Derek what he did that night and what his alibi was. And Derek said on the night of March 11th, his dad had actually gone to a pool tournament at about 8.30 p.m. And Derek spent the rest of the night at home searching for jobs online and going on Facebook and just watching TV. So he was basically saying he was home all night. He also told the police that if the police were to go through his computer, they probably wouldn't find anything in his search history because he has a tendency to delete his search history right after he searches for things because he had previously gotten hacked in the past. So police are really scratching their heads at this point because Derek has no way of confirming his alibi and is saying that he probably deleted his search history on top of everything else. The police then asked Derek if he ever had a crush on Danielle or like a secret crush, but Derek was adamant on the fact that he never had a crush on Danielle. He said that he thought that she was too preppy and that preppy people are often snitches and because he does a lot of illegal activities he doesn't want to be involved with people that could potentially rat him out. So police ended up getting a search warrant for Derek's house and when they got there they found a burn pit in his backyard and they searched more and they also found a knife that was just stabbed into a tree and police also found two shovels that had what seemed to be blood 
on them. So when they saw these shovels, the police kind of thought it was case closed. They thought that they figured it out and that Derek was the one who had something to do with Danielle's disappearance. But police ended up testing the blood that was found on the shovels. And that's when they found out that what they thought was blood wasn't really blood at all. So that kind of disregarded that theory. Derek's girlfriend also came to the police and answered a few questions and completely defended him and said that there's no way Derek could have done anything to Danielle because Derek didn't have a car and he didn't even have his driver's license. So her theory is that he couldn't have done anything because he couldn't drive. So this is when police circle their way back around to Jamichael, Danielle's ex-boyfriend. And Jamichael actually voluntarily went to the police station for questioning. And he said that even though him and Danielle weren't together anymore, that he loved her, he still loves her. And he said that her whole family really liked him. Like they had a really good relationship. But Jamichael did say that Danielle told him that she felt like she was a burden to her grandmother and to her aunt because she was living with them. And so she wanted to try and get back to South Carolina. Jamichael talked about Danielle's depression and told police that Danielle had told him that she thought about killing herself on two different occasions. Jamichael's family was also able to confirm though that Jamichael was home on the night that Danielle went missing. His family said that he was studying for the SATs with his friend Dominic and the two of them, like I said, studying for the SATs at Jamichael's house together. So with all these different people of interest floating around, you have Derek, you have Angel, you have Jamichael, police decided to track Danielle's cell phone and see when the last time it had been pinged. And when they did that, they found that Danielle's phone was actually last pinged on the I-95 highway. So the thing about this specific highway is that it leads from literally Florida all the way up to Maine. So it is crossing the states. And so it really left police frustrated because they didn't know, was she still even in the state or did she cross over state lines into somewhere else? It really left them with a lot more questions than answers. Okay, we're gonna take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. So now we're at about almost a month since Danielle's disappearance, and there is a detective named Adam Brinkley, and this detective had been working on Danielle's case, and he was off duty at this time, and he was driving these back roads, and he drove over a river, and Adam Brinkley is a fisherman, so he really has a good eye 
Um, and he would go fish on this river a lot. The one that he was driving over, he was familiar with it. He fished there a lot. And he said that he was driving over the bridge at about 30 miles an hour and he looked over into the water and noticed something a little bit different. He'd been to that river multiple times, but something just looked a little bit off. So he decided to pull over his car and he ended up paging dispatch and asked if there was any on-duty officer in the area who had a pair of binoculars. Mind you, this river was about 30 minutes away from where Danielle lived, but there was another officer who ended up coming over to the river and had a pair of binoculars. And when Adam Brinkley looked through these binoculars, he was able to see black human hair in the water. Once he was able to confirm that, he said he called his homicide supervisor and told them that they had found a body in the water. Officers from two different districts all ended up coming and meeting at this river, and when they pulled the body out of the water, they were able to confirm that it was the body of Danielle Locklear. When they pulled Danielle's body out of the water, that's where they saw that there was ropes tied to Danielle and there were cinder blocks tied to the other end of the rope. So Danielle's body had been weighed down in this river by these cinder blocks and over time she had just floated back to the surface. The medical examiner concluded that Danielle's cause of death was strangulation. There had been a sock that was stuffed into Danielle's mouth when she was found. And the sock that was found in Danielle's mouth was the same sock, the other sock that Gina had found when she went to the creek that day. Danielle's mom was staying at a hotel at this point and police had shown up to her hotel room and told her that they had discovered Danielle's body. And when they told her the news, Danielle's mom just said she didn't believe it. Like she couldn't believe it. You don't, she said that she heard what the officer was telling her, but she didn't believe it. She's thought that that there's no way but after confirming the shirt that Danielle was wearing was the same shirt that she was seen wearing in the photo that she was taken in that day while she was at the creek they knew that they had found Danielle so now police have kind of reached a turning point because they have a body now it's trying to link the body to whoever is responsible for doing this to Danielle so police started at the location of where the body was found and there was someone who lived particularly close to this river that Danielle's body was found in and that would be Jamichael Malloy police described the river as practically being in his backyard. It was that close to where he lived. And Danielle's parents were not really suspicious of Jamichael whatsoever at first. He was in constant contact with Danielle's family. He went to all the search parties. He went to the balloon release. He was in constant contact with her mom and her aunt and her grandmother. So they really didn't think that he was acting suspicious. Jamichael was given a polygraph test though and the polygraph test was about Danielle and he completely failed the entire thing. He was then questioned again by Adam Brinkley, the detective, who discovered Danielle's body and Jamichael told him that he wasn't going to find anything on him and they weren't going to be able to get him for this. He also said that he didn't do it, but if he did, he wouldn't have put her body in the river so close to where he lived. So while while Jermichael was being questioned though, what he didn't know is that police had a search warrant for his house and were searching for evidence all throughout his property. 
police were able to find the same exact cinder blocks that were tied to the rope that weighed Danielle down at Jamichael's house. They were also able to find the same yellow rope that was tied to Danielle's body at Jamichael's house. But even though they found these, what you would think, incriminating pieces of evidence, it wasn't enough. So he was released that day. And police then looked at Jamichael's alibi again. And when his family was questioned a second time about him being home that night, they told the police that they thought that Jamichael was home that night, but they didn't see him. So they thought he was just kind of in the other room. And that's why they said that he was home that night. But that's not good enough for police to be able to clear your alibi. Someone has to actually see you with their own eyes and Jamichael's family didn't. But police didn't have to do too much more digging because a couple days later, Jamichael actually came back into the police station again voluntarily, but this time he was coming back in to confess to the murder of Danielle. So Jamichael said on March 11th that him and his friend Dominic snuck out of his house and they went to Danielle's house because Jamichael wanted to talk to Danielle. And he said that he threw his wallet against her bedroom window in order to get her attention. And when she she came out of the house, he told Danielle that he wanted to talk to her, so he said that the two of them should go to the creek. So she got into the car and they drove to the creek together and they sat down and they started talking. And according to Jermichael, Danielle had told him that she was actually pregnant. And Jamichael said that this was something that Danielle had said before, so he didn't fully believe her. So Jamichael told Danielle that he wanted her to take a pregnancy test in front of him. That way he could believe her. And he said that if the pregnancy test came back positive, that he would be there for his child, but he still didn't want to be in a relationship with Danielle. So Jamichael said that when he told Danielle this, she completely freaked out and she punched him in the face she got on top of him and she just started hitting him and that is when Jamichael said that he couldn't take it anymore so he had grabbed Danielle by her throat and choked her and he said he completely blacked out and after he came out of this blacked out state he realized Danielle was not breathing so he said that is when he called out to Dominic who he said was in the car and that is when Dominic and Jamichael dragged Danielle's body to Jamichael's car drove back to Jamichael's house which by the way was about 30 minutes away and that is when they tied the ropes and the cinder blocks to Danielle put her back in the car drove her to the river and dumped her body into the water the reason that Danielle's phone had been pinged on the I-95 highway is because Jermichael said when he was driving back to his house, he had to drive on that particular highway and he opened the car window and that is when he threw Danielle's phone out the window. Jamichael was arrested at the police station after this confession for second degree murder, and we will get to that in a minute, and Dominic was arrested several days after Jamichael was. But this wasn't over. Even though they had a confession, police didn't think they had the whole story of what happened to Danielle that night. They were pretty convinced that this whole murder was premeditated. They didn't believe Jamichael's story of he just wanted to talk to Danielle because why wouldn't Jamichael just talk to Danielle outside of her house? Like, why did he have to take her all the way to the creek? Police also believed that Jamichael left his phone at home on purpose that night. That way it would seem to police that he was home instead of where he actually was, which was with Danielle. 
Danielle. So let's talk about motive for a second. The motive here is pretty clear. Um, Jamichael already had his life planned out. He already knew what he wanted to do. He knew that he wanted to be in the Marines. He knew what he wanted to do after he graduated. And getting Danielle pregnant and having a baby was never a part of that plan. But what Jamichael didn't know is that Danielle was never pregnant. So she wasn't pregnant. So this was over nothing which makes this case so much more frustrating not that it would be okay in any way shape or form if he had done this if she was pregnant but it's the fact that she was never pregnant to begin with so the fact that he murdered her because he thought she was pregnant that is just oh it's so frustrating because it's so preventable Something that really stumped police throughout this entire process was the text messages because there were text messages sent from Jamichael's phone to other people around the time of the murder and Jamichael's phone was at home. So how was Jamichael texting other people when he didn't have his phone and he was off with Danielle? Well, detectives were actually able to dive a little bit deeper into that and there is apparently an app. I'm sure there's multiple apps out there, but there is an app where you can schedule text messages. So you can schedule a text to be sent out hours in advance. And that is exactly what Jamichael did. So Jamichael 100% thought that he was going to be able to get away with this. And he did a lot of things to try to stump the police and try to throw them off guard and kind of throw him out of his direction. And he did a really good job of that, which makes me believe so much more that this was premeditated because he went to so many extra lengths to make sure that he wasn't caught beforehand. So with the sentencing, the prosecution wanted to up the charge to first degree murder. Like I said, he, Jamichael was arrested for second degree murder and the prosecution wanted to up that to first degree, but that meant that this case would go to trial. And if the jury found Jamichael not guilty and he was only guilty for voluntary manslaughter, he would only go to jail for five years and then he would be released and no one wanted that to happen. So Jamichael ended up pleading guilty to second degree murder and received a sentence of 25 to 30 years in prison and Dominic pled guilty to accessory to murder and received six to eight years in prison. Danielle's family has just been absolutely gutted and heartbroken from this. Rona has lost her only daughter. Chena lost her niece. And Chena also said that her sister hasn't been the same since Danielle was gone. And I don't think you'll ever be the same after something like this happens. I don't know how you can be. And the police are convinced that Jamichael is a sociopath. They did say that. And they think that, like I said, he truly thought that he could get away with this. And at the sentencing, Jamichael apologized to Danielle's family and said, I know sorry isn't going to cut it, but I'm sorry. And it is just the most half-ass apology ever. But Jamichael is in prison for what he did and he is caught and he's held accountable now, which is the one thing that I think is what Danielle's family was really looking for in order to give them some sort of closure is to be able to find Danielle and hold the person who did this responsible for what they did. And both of those things have happened. So with all of that, that is the case of Danielle 
Locklear. It's very tragic and so sad and frustrating and heartbreaking because it didn't need to happen. But I want to know your guys' thoughts on this case. So definitely let me know in the comments below. Or if you're listening to this on my podcast, you can email me or DM me. My social handles are just at Savannah Brimer. And you can also email me at killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. And with that being said, you guys, thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Killer Instinct. Like I said, make sure you hit subscribe. That way you are always notified when we post an episode every single Wednesday. That is all for me today, you guys. I hope you have a great rest of your week. I hope to see you next week, but until then, stay safe.